Practice Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wim Lou, and today, Friday's episode, I've got a pair of guests coming up. First, we will have Michael Pina of The Ringer, which is going to work to get him on the line, uh, but we will discuss... Uh, his award ballot, because you know what? One thing that we do on this show is propaganda hours, and, um, you know, this is a little too early for that. But then again, when the award ballot, people actually write their ballots, and uh, they put out, you know, their awards at the quarter mark. It, it's good to check in with them, build a rapport, and then over the course of the season, perhaps uh, come back and circle back and and campaign on behalf of the Raptors. So we are joined now by Michael Pina of The Ringer. How you doing, Michael? What's up, Will? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So um, I was checking out your, your your pieces, obviously, over at The Ringer. And, you know, I noticed that uh, you have first month-ish awards, all right, which is, you know, sounds kind of ridiculous in, in its own. But listen, this is, this, is, this is the media economy that we live in, you know? Like, yes, we can write beautiful features or have wonderful interviews and, and dive into, you know, all the play calls and, and all the adjustments and things like that in our league. But what people really want to see is, is, is monthly awards. So, so, so Michael, I, I'm, I'm reading this piece and I noticed you got OG in there. So uh, I would love to hear for why you had our beloved OG Anobi as uh, your guy through the first month ish. So I highlighted a play in the piece. <clears throat> it was against the, uh, the Atlanta Hawks and he was defending Deandre Hunter and OG Anobi just kind of, got inside DeAndre Hunter's jersey, inside his shorts, and I believe he forced a turnover like 35 feet from the basket. DeAndre Hunter just looked like a deer in the headlights. And that play, yeah, I obviously was very familiar with OG's ability on ball, his defensive versatility. Um, I knew he was leading the league in steals at the time, but that play just really like, you just don't see um, perimeter defenders who are that effective on um, you know, capable offensive weapons like that. And just kind of an eye-opening possession for me. And from there, you just kind of dig into the numbers. You watch a ton of his plays. You see who he's guarding on a night-to-night basis, his responsibilities. And personally, I'm always impartial to uh, versatility and wing defenders as opposed to big men. I don't, I don't know if that's a controversial take a lot of people think that and maybe they're right that uh rim protectors are the most important defenders on the floor and that's fair enough but i just love guys who assume difficult responsibilities chase players around screens got to contest shots got to get deflections got to live in passing lanes really sacrifice their body on every play and og's doing that at a higher level than anyone right now yeah i i think you know when you look at last year's um award for defensive player of the year obviously marcus smart took it home you know it, it became i don't know i, I think some corners of, of of basketball twitter really like to mock it because of the fact that you know i think some people pointed to robert williams as a big factor in boston's success defensively i think other people sort of pointed out the advanced stats which usually generally favor bigs in that sort of uh, assessment mm-hmm. in terms of who impacts the most and and you, you've, you've already said here that you know you you valued the versatility I, i'm wondering like are you starting to see a bit of a sea change in terms of just like this award not exclusively going to bigs, right? Because I think the argument for bigs is just that obviously they can impact more shots and therefore the greater volume of um, just shot contests and how many shots they can affect, you know, probably lends them to having the biggest 
um, you know, defensive metrics. But at the same time, I think the game today is played a lot differently than it was in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear, if you, you know, where the game is now. So I'm curious in terms of like where you stand on and sort of do you see a sea change in terms of how defensive player of the year is starting to be adjudicated? I hope so. Um, you know, we have this conversation now and Brooke Lopez wins the award. That would stink. <laughs> but, but like, I, I see them in the other candidates. Don't worry, we'll talk about the other candidates too. Yeah. But no, I, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Like the offenses at the end of the day want layups and they want dunks. That's like they're the most efficient shot. So rim protection is always going to be important. Size is always going to matter. But I just think that how the game is played and who is on the floor um, perimeter defenders, defensive p- players who can be as versatile as possible, who don't, who aren't just landlocked into the paint. Um, they're just more important than ever. And I think that it's really difficult to ascribe uh, defensive metrics to kind of uh, gauge their value as it is with rim protectors when you can just see, okay, when this guy's on the floor, their opponents are taking this percentage of shots uh, in the paint or at the rim, and this is what they're shooting at the rim. It's like when you have a a Marcus Smart or a Mikhail Bridges or an OG Ananobi, sometimes the on-offs just don't really uh, describe their value and their impact. So it's, it's still kind of an uphill battle, I think, among a lot of voters, especially ones who don't watch um, a ton of, uh, of basketball. Mm. Um, and so I would hope that we're, we're in the middle of a sea change where, you know, uh, you know, I loved when Kawhi was kind of dominating and, uh, he won two, I believe. Um, I remember like growing up, it was like Gary, when Gary Payton won, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Run our test one. I was like, this is just incredible stuff. Uh, so for Marcus Smart to win, that was really cool, and I, I hope we can keep it going. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, look, that's not to say that like if a big man in the league is the best defender, um, that they shouldn't get consideration for the award. And honestly, if you look around in terms of like, you know, I think this is my guess in terms of how um, a lot of voters sort of decide on these things. It's sort of like they look at okay, which are the best teams in the league on defense. And then mm-hmm. who is the best defender on those teams? You might look a little bit deeper in terms of the on-off metrics or the catch-all defensive metrics. You might look at things like tracking nowadays. You can really look very in-depth at a lot of things, right? But even if you just go by that approach of who are the best defenders on the best teams, well, the, the best defenses right now, Milwaukee number one, Cleveland number two, Philly number three, right? And, and each of those teams mm-hmm. have, you know, um, a seven-footer like Brooke Lopez or like Jared Allen or like Joel Embiid, who I think has really come on strong here recently for the Sixers, holding that team down while Maxi and, and and Harden have been out. They've been winning with defense, and, and Joel's been sort of spearheading that that charge. And, you know, like they do have that kind of game-changing impact at times. But, um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of OG-specific case, I mean, he's he's been a really strong defender pretty much since he came into the NBA. Like, uh, I think um, one of OG's breakout moments as a rookie, I still remember watching it, was – the Raptors were playing the Houston Rockets, and at that time, the Rockets were like the top of the West, uh, at least in the regular conf- uh, regular season. Mm-hmm. And OG came in for his first career start because I think Norman Powell went down with injury, and his job was to go out there and guard James Harden. And the Raptors pulled off the upset win, and, and OG had a really nice game on both ends of the floor. So he's been a strong defender over the years, but w- what are you seeing differently maybe perhaps from his approach this season that's really continued to highlight you know, why he should be a sort of a top of a lot of voters' minds? Well, I just think 
like when you lead the league in in steals, I hope know, steals yeah. and blocks. Sorry. Yeah, just it kind of it stands out. I mean, just his aggression without necessarily hacking a ton or fouling a ton or finding himself in foul trouble a lot because he's just so valuable in those one-on-one matchups. I mean, tonight against the Nets, he's going to presumably defend uh, Kevin Durant, who's yep. probably the best scorer still alive. And the last time these two teams faced off, it was just so fascinating in a game where the Raptors didn't have like half of their team. Um, OG's defense on, uh, on KD was um, kind of amazing. I think KD only had scored 12 points, which is just, that's what he's like basically averaging in a quarter these days. So he's, you know, he'll go from guarding KD to uh, guarding Donovan Mitchell, just a completely different type of assignment to guarding. uh, In their last game, he was on Zion Williamson for a good chunk of the game. And that's just obviously another unique matchup. Um, And when you do a pretty good job, over and over again, and you really make these guys work for every single um, every single bucket, every single just step of progress, uh, it stands out. And yeah, like you said, the, the way we can track this, or one way is just like the, the, the turnovers that he is forcing and just like the way that that is so um, positive and impactful for Toronto's offense on the other end. Just like that is just a way to impact winning also um, that's really stood out to me this season for him. Yeah, and and that's something that the Raptors absolutely need because, you know, like when you consider one side of the ball, like it's it's good and all, but at the same time, like, you know, you really have to think about basketball as a flow game. And obviously if you mm-hmm. force misses and, and, and that's good, like if, you, if you're big and you force a higher share of misses, but you're not necessarily creating the live ball turnovers where you're able to go back the other way or it's sort of you block a shot, but it goes out of bounds, like, you know, there are other things to sort of consider. This is why this is probably the hardest award to probably hand out um, in my in my in my guess for just sort of seeing other people and hearing them discuss their award ballots. Like, obviously, this is probably later in the year, like March or for April. They always talk about this award as being so hard just because it's, it's, it's difficult to, to assess. Now, you had some other candidates in there as well. And I'd love to know sort of um, who else in the league is catching your eye defensively because I think this is probably going to be the number one agenda the Raptor fans will push this season will be OG's <laughs> defense. So I think it'll be good to sort of at least get to know like what other agendas are out there. What about the the Pascal? I don't mean to go off track here. The Pascal Siakam MVP uh, uh, campaign is that going to happen? Do you think? Um, I, I think as soon as the Raptors go on a three game win streak, which I have yet to do this season, <laughs> as soon as that happens, you will hear it, and it'll probably be on this program. I'm shameless. Uh, I will do it, Michael. Don't 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 don't. As don't you test, should. Don't test as me. you should. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, other guys who really stood out to me so far. I mean, my preseason pick was Bam Adebayo, and that dude not winning a Defensive Player of the Year award yet is uh, kind of criminal and. This could be the season for him. I mean, he's just so we talk about defensive versatility that that's like he personifies it in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, he switches more than any big in basketball. He can anchor a two three zone, which he's had to do a ton this year because there's just so many bad individual defenders on that Miami Heat team. And when he goes off the floor, they just absolutely collapse into a puddle. So um, he's great. I there's really nothing you, bad you can say about him defensively. He's kind of perfect. Um, I think I had Brooke Lopez also in the article, and 
Um, Brooke is doing wonderful things. I mean, he's got like six games with five blocks or something this season, just absolutely destroying everyone in the paint. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's super key. Milwaukee's had the best defense or one of the best defenses pretty much wire to wire this season. That's why they've won. Their offense has been really bad. He's a huge reason for that. And I think what's really, sometimes we, it's difficult to kind of, uh, pick who should get all the credit there. Is it Brooke? Is it Giannis, who is another candidate for this award? Just Mm -hmm. because he's the best or one of the best help defenders in the league and has been for for years now. They also have Drew Holiday. I don't think Drew is necessarily um, in the running for Defensive Player of the Year, but he's always in the running for an all-defensive team. Um, I love Mikael Bridges. I think I mentioned him already. The, he's one where it's just like really tough to but he plays so many minutes so the on-offs are just like I think their defense is like eight points 100 possessions worse when he's on the floor and I just like don't care at all if you watch him play the way he navigates screens the way he just bothers guys fighting over on pick and rolls blocks from behind the rear contests um, such a smart player uh, I just I love his defense, and I think he was the runner-up last season behind Marcus Smart. So those are just three names or four names that um, will I think should be competitive with. I think OG is right up there for sure, mm-hmm. um, and those are candidates that I think should last uh, throughout the season. Yeah, no doubt. Look, we'll we'll continue to have this conversation over the year. <laughs> I think by the way, one one name that's not mentioned here, uh, and rightfully so, is Rudy Gobert. Um, Yikes. I love that you gave Minnesota the saddest team of the year award. It's uh man, that team is just, it's tough. It's, you know, whether it's like quotes about, uh, you know, young players eating too much Popeyes or like D'Angelo Russell forgets to play basketball, like literally being on the court or um, just sort of the possessions where Cat is sort of spaced out defensively or, you know, and, and even, even Gobert's defense, which I think is still objectively good, obviously. Like, it's not like he stopped playing mm-hmm. defense. But then again, I, I was scrolling back in your timeline, and I saw this one. Rudy Gobert has 26 blocks this season. Walker <laughs> Kessler has 30 blocks this season. Uh, people who don't know Walker Kessler, he was uh, one of the players traded uh, to Utah in that deal. Um, a rookie center who has more blocks than Rudy Gobert so far. So, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. I feel like Minnesota deserves some like good basketball eventually, and they kind of had it last year, and then they just decided to go in an entirely different direction. Why did they not just run it back? Honestly, why did they not just draft Walker Kessler? I don't. It's (laughs) one of the great mysteries. Um, We could literally talk about this for an hour and not have a real solution or an answer. So I'll. I'll, I think we should move on. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I think it probably is probably one of those things where. Stereotypical. You you bring a new owner in, they really want to put their stamp on the thing, and the the stamp mm-hmm. is the stamp is Rigo Bear. So uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, another team that I think probably had a lot of turmoil at the start of the season, and by probably I mean definitely. Um, they've obviously actually calmed down of, a lot of late. Uh, is the Brooklyn Nets who are playing pretty good basketball? I I feel like every time I watch them, I'm always watching them during the nights where there's no drama. Utah smiling and they're and they're he's hitting game he's like hitting clinching like threes in the corner to sort of like secure the win with like two minutes left or I'm watching uh you know Royce O'Neal being a really good glue guy I'm watching like the good Ben Simmons game so I feel like I have a stronger opinion of the Nets than a lot of people but 
you know, you, you wrote about the Nets um, recently as well over at the Ringer. And my question to you is, like, was Brooklyn's offseason, like, secretly pretty good? Because I feel like that was the propaganda that they wanted to sort of put out there to KD. Like, hey, like, we did a lot of good things here. But obviously no one believed it because KD asked for the trade. But then when you're looking back on it, I'm like, a lot of these moves kind of did work out. Yeah, I think when you saw kind of some of the signings come in, um, I thought that they had like a really, it was kind of confusing to me because I was like, this would be a really good team if Katie hadn't just requested a trade, mm-hmm. like trading for Royce O'Neal, um, uh, re-signing just someone like Patty Mills, who's now out of the rotation, ironically. But I also thought that, you know, bringing or just getting a healthy Joe Harris, uh, getting a healthy Seth Curry, getting a healthy Ben Simmons would just do wonders for this team on both ends. I mean, Joe Harris is just like this critical linchpin who's finally starting to get healthy. And it's basically all of last season was one of the big reasons that they, they really stumbled. Um, they just need two way players. And when they have them on the floor, um, two way players with size, uh, they're pretty good because like Kevin Durant is still so special and averaging 30 points a night, something like that, shooting like 55% from the, from the field. Um, Yuta Watanabe, who you mentioned, is one of those guys who's just really effective on both ends of the floor for them. He probably plays harder than anyone on the team and leads the NBA in three-point shooting right now. So if you can get space and you can have defensive versatility um, around KD, around Kyrie Irving, who's looked pretty good uh, over the past few games, you're going to win a lot of basketball games. And so they've settled down quite a bit i still am not a hundred percent sure what their ceiling is or if they'll ever see their ceiling but when they're healthy um when they have all this shooting and when kd just kind of is just able to cook one-on-one they're really really difficult to beat yeah well i think one thing that when you watch the nets this season it feels like one of the underrated things about them is they added a lot of pretty good passers right obviously ben simmons coming back and getting healthy he's a very good passer mm-hmm. Royce o'neill like kind of plays like a pseudo point guard t- style of role, especially when they have Kyrie on the floor. They they allow Kyrie to sort of mostly focus as a scorer. KD, obviously, obviously, his role is very clear, but obviously he can pass as well. Very good at passing out of the double teams. We'll probably see a lot of that tonight as the Raptors uh, send 25 double teams to KD uh, per <laughs> quarter. Uh, if I just have to guess, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not like I've seen all of Nick Nurse's games here. Um, but yeah, like it, their passing, I think is 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 actually working quite well, and I think that that probably helps a guy like you to shoot a higher percentage from three. That helps, you know, Seth Curry, Patty Mills when he plays, you know, Joe uh, Joe Harris. I keep calling him Joe House. It's 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 uh it's become an annoying thing of like <laughs> I don't know why. I don't think he looks anything like Joe House, but uh, yeah, I mean they're 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 tough. The Raptors already lost twice of them. Like I I I mean I think early in the season everyone was sort of like looking at that team for the disaster that it was, but they're kind of like slowly starting to figure it out. And like Jacques Vaughn, you got you got to tip your cap to Jacques Vaughn. Mhm. You know? Uh love love Jacques Vaughn. Yeah, I think that yeah, the vibes were just I know that's not the most analytical term, but the vibes were not great with Steve Nash from the start. I mean, when your best player says that he wants to leave unless you fire the head coach, then the head coach is still around. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's kind of difficult to 
not have that be a distraction from the start of the season. And then obviously there's a bunch of other stuff that went down with the Nets um, that was terrible. So, <laughs> Like what? I, I don't think anyone heard about those things, man. I, I think there's some, there's some uh, reporting that needs to be done on this front. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh-huh. Um, but no, like they're – the assist rate has been terrific. It's nearly top five right now. They really share the ball. Yeah. Um, play a beautiful brand when just a drive and kick medley when they have all those spacers on the floor. And I think one of the big, uh, big questions right now for the team when everybody is healthy is because they're dead last in defensive rebound rate and dead last in offensive rebound rate, which okay. is kind of hard to do. Um, the big question is like, how do you shore up uh, your interior and without just killing your spacing? Like, how do you, do you play Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton together? And right. so those are the questions right now that they're going to have to figure out. Ben Simmons, I don't believe is going to play against the Raptors tonight. He's been dealing with an injury. Um, but when everyone's healthy, that's the the big question for them. And do they bring in another big off the scrap either, uh of the waiver wire eventually? Do they make a trade for another big? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's like the greatest use of their resources or a roster spot. But the glass is just absolutely killing them. And when you look at kind of this particular matchup against the Raptors, mm. that's just you don't want to not be able to rebound <laughs> against the Toronto Raptors. It's just a recipe for death. Yeah, we're going to preview the game uh, later in this program. But uh, spoiler alert, the Raptors probably need to grab like 20 offensive rebounds. And, you know, I, I mean, listen. That, it's that's, possible. It's very possible. Um, it depends on how much energy the Raptors come out with, obviously. They can't be as sluggish as they've been uh, against New Orleans, for example. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Brooklyn is is, is starting to, to scare me again. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing that would, at least from afar, for, for someone who's sort of rooting against them, is just sort of like, you know, you don't want to see that front court pairing actually start to work, which I honestly, I think until one of those guys really wants to like even do something offensively beyond what in Ben Simmons's case, pass or make layups. And in Nick Claxton's case, just like make layups and hopefully make free throws when he's hacka, um, hacka Claxton, I guess. I feel like there needs to be like a, a bit of a nickname made for that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, like, you know, defensively they're going to still struggle because they do have a lot of small guards in the rotation. And I do wonder like Kyrie coming back, obviously Kyrie's going to be very, very good offensively, but defensively, you know, when you already have a lot of small guards in the rotation, like can you really manage all of that? You know, and we'll see, I guess, I guess we'll see. I guess that's the big story with Brooklyn. Just we'll see with that team. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Like real quick, the, um, the net rating that the Nets have with Claxton and Simmons is minus 5.5 points per hundred possessions right. in 191 minutes. That's just not going to get it done. The offense is terrible. The defense is bad. So, yeah, that's – Jacques Vaughn has been awesome, and I think he's just trying to tinker and experiment with different ways and different lineup combinations to make it work. And having a bunch of small guards, as you said, like – Kyrie, Seth, Patty Mills, these guys all can't play. Patty's already been basically exercised from the rotation, um, but they're pretty good players. And so finding the right lineup combinations just is really important. Yeah. And then I have to ask an obligatory question. Any chance Raptors will go back in on KD? <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, Michael, <laughs> this question carried us through the entire offseason. Where the Raptors, like, their main moves were, were re-signing Thad Young and, 
and 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 Chris Boucher, and then we're going to draft Christian Coloco thirty third. And it was like, okay, content wise, like that's it's probably going to keep people interested for maybe like like an hour. Um, uh, but then you know, KD kept coming up and up and up, and you know, we we did make like probably twenty hours of conversation on that about a topic that didn't even actually happen at all. Like literally, he just was like, I'm coming back to the team, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. My sense is just it seems like KD sounds like more or less committed to this organization or at least in terms of just like committed to the idea that he has to fight uphill and and, and the quotes that he gave to chris haynes recently I, I actually read those as weirdly positive even though he did slander kind of half his team <laughs> just threw his whole team under the bus yeah um no i mean it's really tough to ride the roller coaster of katie's mood and when he's happy and where he wants to be, et cetera. I'm curious, what is your, at this point, knowing that he's still KD, he's still just absolute an absolute world beater, still has three years left after this one, I think, on the contract. Like, what is your best offer that you would give if you were, uh, if you were Masai? Uh, I think in the offseason, I don't think they, they offered Scotty or Pascal. I don't think it makes sense to to offer Pascal in, in this trade just because the the idea of trading for KD is to to pair him with your best player and, and form a one two that I think would be really really good. Uh, the idea of Pascal and KD playing together, um, right? So it really just leaves Scotty as, as sort of like that piece, and so this is where the conversation kind of died in the off season because during the off season, when the when when the idea was like, well, maybe do you throwing Scotty or not? The the answer was just kind of like no because it, it, the Raptors just didn't have enough contracts to sort of add into that deal because it would be like Scotty plus OG and Gary and it was like at that point it's like all right well you're trading like three of your starters now and like you're not going to balance out your team it's going to look like a struggle you know whatever right um, nowadays though because we're coming into the season there's a couple more contracts the Raptors kind of throw in so that you don't necessarily have to throw in another few starters if so that's what Brooklyn is sort of really after is is getting Scotty now my my thinking is. If Brooklyn's already long-term married to Ben Simmons, who does have a lot of skill overlap with Scotty, I don't even know how much the Nets would necessarily want that kind of pairing for the future. Certainly, if I were picking two players to play together, I wouldn't necessarily pick those two to play together. So, I mean, to be honest, I don't think there is much of a deal unless Brooklyn really, really loves OG or something. But If I, I could get Scotty Barnes, I would just wave Ben Simmons tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, All right. I'll, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do respect to Ben Simmons. Okay. Like, if I could... I mean, I mean, just like a huge, 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 huge Scotty okay. Barnes fan. I right, you know right. that statistically he's been um, it's, it's taking honestly, a little bit of a step back. It's it's almost the same as last year. He's just, he's just shooting a little less efficiently because he's not going to the paint as much. But everything yeah, else is the same. And yeah, I think also the you know sometimes you watch him and see who else is on the floor with him and see what he needs to do, mm. and it's just a little bit pressing. But he's yeah, I mean he's. The future is just ridiculous for him, and he would just never be on the table for me if I was Masai and for a KD trade. Like that's yeah. just and I don't think he has been. By me. the way, to be very very clear, about yeah, this. I don't think yeah, absolutely so. not, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, all right, I guess we could just pine for KD from afar. I guess uh, <laughs> once again, the KD conversations for the Raptors went nowhere. All right, Michael, thank you for your time. All right, read all your work at, <laughs> at over at the Ringer, and uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Will. Appreciate you. Okay, we're going to take a break right here. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Have you checked out Bet Rivers yet? Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about Bet Rivers sportsbook award winning customer service. It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1 866 531 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge the most opinionated maple leaf show out there real kipper and born be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back to the raptor show on the sports radio network i'm your host Wayne Lou. joined in the second segment here by alvin williams Sportsnet teammate alvin how you doing good how are you man yeah, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I hope you're uh, enjoying this sort of, uh, I guess, short break here before, obviously, the game tonight. Um, the Raptors take on the Nets. And look, uh, Alvin, I, I've always wanted to uh, to get your thoughts on, you know, everything Raptors. And, and to be honest, there's a lot going on with the Raptors right now. You know, like we, we discussed in the first segment here, OG's, um, you know, case right now. He's He's made it known that he wants to win Defensive Player of the Year. He's also making it known on the court as well, doing a great job. Obviously, a big test tonight against KD. We actually did a pretty good job of uh, against uh, KD last game, uh, except the Raptors just couldn't score enough to sort of make that game competitive. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the discussions we were having was just should more wings and guards be in consideration for this award? Because you're looking at it since, like, 2000, right? Like, there's only been three players who weren't bigs who won the award. Those were, those were Meta World Peace, who was Ron Artest at that time, Kawhi Leonard, and then most recently Marcus Smart. So, Alvin, like, do you think more wings or at least just non-bigs should get more consideration for for defensive player of the year i mean it's hard when you when you look at an individual award like defensive player of the year because how do you really what are your metrics uh, is, is it stats is it that they're guarding that person the, the top offensive people and if you're i don't care who you are if you're a great defensive player and you're guarding the best offensive player you're going to get fried a lot of the times. It's a total team effort, and it's also the team success a lot of times. But in today's in today's game as well, you see a lot of switching. So the matchups aren't there. Like you could think that OG was going to guard is going to guard you know KD tonight. But if KD runs a couple pick and rolls, and you know Coloco will be on him, then you know that's not OG's matchup anymore. But do you still say he did a good job or whatever the case may be? So. I think I think that award is very difficult in today's game because the defenses aren't predicated like it used to be. Like you have your Alvin Robinson, you have your Dennis Rodmans, you have your you have your guys that were were great defensive players. They were going to guard the Michael Jordans and the Dominique Wilk. They were going to guard the best all the time. And you can look at it and see their success level. Today's game is tough, so I think it's, it's it depends on how you're measuring. What's a good defensive player? We know OG is a heck of a defensive player. Statistically, the way he impacts the game, and you will have to be somebody that look at him night in and night out to understand his value in that in that aspect. So I can't answer the question. We should consider more wings. But I, th- I think it's overall, how do we look at today's game and how defense is viewed? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Alvin. And I think, um, you know, when you look at the Raptors in particular, they switch so much, right, that they're 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 – and and they built they were built for that like the, that's the whole reason why they have all these wings on the roster, B 
because you you hope at least that you can switch pretty freely one through four, ideally one through five, especially with a lot of fives in this league, no longer being the same type of dominant low post scores that fives used to be. Um, you know, and I think in that sense, like versatility defensively, isn't that one thing that, as especially the way the game is played now, as you mentioned with all the switching, isn't versatility probably the biggest aspect that you want to see from your best defensive players? Well, no, for sure. You definitely, I think even when you look at your bigs, you, you know, I know we were talking about wing players, but when you look at your bigs now, they're looked at to see if they can guard, you know, perimeter players because of the switching. You know, you have your Rudy Gobert. He's the defensive player of the year, but if you put him on Steph Curry, I've seen Steph Curry made him spin around like a top. Mm. So it's just, you want that versatility for sure. You want the strength. You want the, the length. You want the awareness. But I think ultimately, if you are a team like the Toronto Raptors that have multiple guys that can guard multiple positions and really defend those positions where you don't have to help and you don't have to, you know, form a scheme where you got to rotate and close out and recover and do all of those things. If you have a team like that that's versatile in many different uh, positions, that's something that's very, very unique in the game, today's game as well. Right, right. Um, now, I think one other topic that a lot of fans have been tracking is just sort of like, you know, this this a bit of a strange season from Fred. Like, he hasn't necessarily been as consistent uh, as you would want from a guy who's, you know, nickname obviously is Steady Freddie. We know Fred can obviously play at a high level, and he's done so this season, but there's also been games, especially coming off of last game where he got ejected and he wasn't effective. I'm looking at the box score. Five of his 15 games played so far, he's had more shot attempts than actual points. Now, we know his impact is not just the scoring, but at the same time, what are you seeing from Fred in terms of his consistency, and how do you think he can get back to sort of being in that all-star level or at least sort of night in and night out you know we can get from Fred? I think a lot of things go into your health. It okay. goes into your health. It goes into your mental state. Um, can you hear me? Yep. Uh, it goes into your health, your overall health. It goes into your mental state. It goes into how teams approach and how, you know, you look into this season, we've seen the ball out of Fred's hands early on in the season. Pascal was doing and is doing a phenomenal job of scoring, facilitating, and now Fred has been playing off the ball a little more. So that's been an adjustment. And, you know, you got to adjust to how defenses are playing you as well. And then just finding your rhythm when you're out, whether it's a sickness, whether it's an injury, so it's been an up-and-down season across the board, not just for Fred, for the whole team, but if you're someone like Fred, it seems like he has to find di different nights. It seems like different things are required from him, and different he has to approach it in different ways. So it's, a, it's how he approaches it mentally and how comfortable he can be early on with a game. I look at someone, and always you always put the names together, like a Kyle Lowry when Kawhi Leonard was traded to the Raptors. And Kyle Lowry went from instantly being a number one B, number one A guy, he and DeMar, to somebody who was like a third option or fit in the, fit in the bunch. Mm -hmm. And he had to mentally approach every game as such. Kawhi would be out, Kawhi would be in. So he always had to adjust his game and how he approached it. And I think Fred is faced with that somewhat. You know, Fred had the ball a lot last year. He was an all-star last year playing at a very high level a certain way. And now those things aren't required as much or hasn't been active as much this year, so now he has to adjust. But you know what Fred brings to the table. He's very steady. He's mature. He's a leader. He's a killer out there. He's taking big shots. He's going to make big shots. And it's just about just finding that rhythm once again for him. And that's nothing for him. That's nothing because he has the ability. and He's done it night, and night over and night. Yeah, that's a good point, man. And I think uh, the adjustments there for Fred, I mean, like, 
one thing is the the coaches always ask for different things from him, right? And I think that shows a sign of trust, right, from Nick. You clearly know that Nick trusts Fred no matter – pretty much no matter what, really. Like, you know, some games he's not even shooting well, but he'll still end up playing like 30 – high 30s, even 40 minutes, just because Nick trusts that in a big moment, Fred can kind of deliver something for you. But um, I, I, I am looking forward to sort of seeing a consistent stretch of play from, from as you mentioned, all the guys, but in particular, Fred. I mean, he's a very important player on the team. And, you know, I think um, the, at the start of the season, the debate was sort of, okay, so Pascal's going to be number one ball handler. There's no concerns about that. But who's going to be number two for you? And I think it was a debate between Fred or Scotty. I mean, wh- where do you stand on that right now in terms of who should be that secondary initiator for the Raptors um, behind Pascal, who's clearly number one? You know, I, I'm the wrong person to probably ask that question because I, I, I don't like being caught up like ones and twos. And like, okay. because the game, like, I mean, you have, you have your guy that, you know, the offense could be predicated around or the style or whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, Pascal stands out as that person. And then everyone else may fall in place. It could be Scotty at one night. It could be Fred another night. You know, it could be OG. So I think different nights with the team built up, with the team makeup, I think it depends on the matchups. I think it depends on the, the team that you're playing. I think it depends on your lineups because you do, once again, as you mentioned, Alex, it's like you have a very versatile team. And I think the uniqueness and the value behind that is you don't have to place emphasis on who's the number two or who's number three. I think they all mature enough to take that role wherever it is and whatever that calls for that night and perform. So, you know, it's hard because when you start getting into it, and you remember, I guess, when you if you think about Pascal a few years ago when you say he was confused, he didn't know he wanted to be the guy. He didn't know if he was the guy. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of confusion and friction there. You know, it was times where he got benched. And I think if you're a player and you start worrying about those things, it's only going to hurt you individually, and it's not going to make the team gel. So I think when it comes down to that, you have your guy and Pascal that you can lean on, but you also have a Fred. You also have a vet. You also have an OG, and then others can fall apart, fall in line. So I try to stay away from that. Yeah. But the reality is, the team is the team is good enough, and those guys are good enough to do their thing on any given night. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 a really good perspective, and I think that uh, you know, I think as fans, like we obviously want things to sort of put people in buckets, right? Like Pascal's in the number one player oh, kind man. of bucket, you know? Like, hey, man, we all want a Mike, we all want a Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's easy wish, to understand. You know? that easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Shaq and Shaq and Kobe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, so it, it's not that simple with this team, but I, I agree with you. I think sometimes, you know, obviously the ball's going to flow to whichever matchup is sort of favoring them in that game. And, and you know, who, who knows, right? Like, obviously, depending on the opponent, like you're just going to have different matchups each night and nobody is clear cut, yep, yep. you know, above the rest right now, except for Pascal. So you'll see turns. Now, I think one of the other uh, conversations we've been having is just sort of, you know, the Raptors have, have made some changes in the starting lineup, right? We saw Scotty come off the bench one game. We saw Gary come off the bench the last two games. We've seen Thad start. Um, and and when, you, when you hear Nick talk about it, he seems like he wants to try a couple of different things. Like, we might see even more changes. I, I don't know who will start tonight, right, uh, you know, in, in the game against Brooklyn. But, uh, but, Alvin, I think one question I want to ask is, you know, as a former player, like, why is this such a big deal to players, whether or not they come off the bench? Is, is it not more important in terms of who finishes the game and who ends up playing the most minutes? Or is... is, is I mean, you, you... Yeah? No, I'm sorry. I could, I'm sorry. Do you want to finish? Or... No, no, no. I was just curious. Like, yeah, why, why is coming off the bench, like, such a big deal? No, I mean, it's... 
when you're a kid, right, you look to get your name called in that starting lineup, right? That, that's, that's always been, you know, starting at number, number, number five, Alex. Right, you don't you don't hear at the end of the, and finishing the game at number five, you know. So that starts psychologically as a kid, and you know the emphasis are put on starters and every and everything. But when you start realizing your value and you get older and you start seeing, you know, my dad told me that a long time ago. It's not who starts who who finishes. I used to look at him crazy because I wasn't starting, so I guess he was just trying to ease the pain. But mm. I start realizing. I was starting games and I wouldn't finish. And that was even more painful because you just know it's like anything else, a title. It's just a title. But really the work goes in in between those lines. And the best players are going to finish the game. And who's ever playing the best will finish the game. So I think players are starting to realize that. You know, when you, when you look at, you know, the, the culture of sports, usually it was the starters getting paid the big bucks. But now the money is getting spread out. You know, a little differently now. It's not maybe just a starter, but it's the person who has the most value to a team. Mm-hmm. You can still get those accolades, those individual accolades, and financially can be secure. So it's not as I don't think it's a big deal. We think it is a big deal because who's starting and everything like that. They've seen the Manu Ginobili's. They've seen the Jason Terry's. They've seen you know Lou Williams's. They've seen Kevin McHale's. And these players are Hall of Fame players on on a on a cusp or their Hall of Fame players. So you can still be, you know, very valued if you do not start. So I think when it comes down to that, coaches got to have that, you know, or they don't have to, but that communication when you are putting someone in a different role, you know, coming off the bench or whatever. So the player will not lose itself and it still add value to the team. Yeah, and I, and I think one one clear case of that right now in terms of that, that approach is, is Gary Trent Jr., right? I think whether it's sort of his interviews and what he said or his just encore performance, like he looks like he's he's seeing this opportunity and he's taking it. And there's no like, if anything, he's actually played even better. And I think my, my question there is just like, is there also a case in terms of just like certain players because of sort of what their skill sets are? I mean, we see a lot of shooting guards who have been successful as six man of the year. It's like if you look at the history of the six man of the year, it's probably like 80% of shooting guards, right? Combo guards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is there something to be said there about, like, that ability to come off the bench is, is actually going to help certain players' careers because of the addi- additional freedom that you get when you're sort of, like, the guy off the bench? Oh, no doubt about it. I think when you – if you're a GM, a president, a coach of a team, and you're looking to construct your team, and you see a player that can perform, perform whether they're in the starting lineup or coming off the bench, that's just more value. Like, you've seen – we've seen in the past where, you know, some – big-time players throughout their career, teams have been hesitant to sign them because they weren't sure they would take a different role, mm-hmm. whether it's coming right. off the bench, less shots, or whatever the case may be. So if you're someone like a Gary Trent Jr. who's performed at a very high level as a starter, performs at a high level as someone coming off the bench, a six-man or whatever the case may be, his game doesn't change. His approach doesn't change. He doesn't hinder the locker room. The coach can still communicate with him. He's only just bringing more value to himself because he's going to go out there and score points. He's going to create shots. He's going to bring those things, those same things to a team. But a Gary Trent Jr., I know his makeup. I know his father. I know how his father will hold him accountable as a youngster. So he's not someone that's going to place blame on anyone else but himself. If he's struggling, he's going to look at himself first, and he's going to he's going to rectify it. So he's not a player that you have to worry about in any situation. He's going to take what's come with it, and he's going to make the best out of it. Trust me with that. 
Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, even having spoken to, 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 to Senior in, in the studio a few times, too, just like his approach in terms of yeah, sort of, you know, exactly. He, he's a serious man, you know, and, and you know, he's not uh, he's not about to have his son crying about anything else other than just trying to take care of his business, which is, I think, is, is, uh, is invaluable, obviously, as an experience. And I think the other flip side of that is just like you're looking at who Nick's choosing to start, you know, uh, right now he's he's favoring Thad, but we've also seen Christian Coloco start a lot of games this season. We've seen Wancho start some games there. Alvin, do you see a, like a clear cut candidate in terms of who that fifth starter might be, or do you think Nick probably changes it up uh, matchup to matchup? I mean, it may change it up match matchup to matchup and whatever he's feeling comfortable with. You know, as a coach, you always want to play the guys that you trust and situations and those players that show that they can be trusted in multiple and different situations. That's who that's who Nick Nurse is going to go with. Like he has no problem of changing lineups, changing schemes. You know, just thinking outside the box, so to speak. So, you know, it's it's hard to say who he's going to go with. You see, in Christian Coloco, you know, start those games and play be really good. Mm-hmm. Now you see, in Thaddeus Young, he's playing a role, right? And I think when you have a Thaddeus Young, who's been in the league for so long who plays well when he's in there, who goes to the bench and is still a leader, it's easier for the other guys to kind of accept it if it happens to them right. or when things get changed around for them. So, once again, I think when you do make those lineup changes and if you're making them frequently, it's like the players either understand that's, that's the culture around this or the communication has to be there and the trust still has to be on both sides. The players have to trust the coach that he's doing the right thing and he's doing the right thing for the team. And the coach has to trust the players that he won't lose them if he put them in a lesser role or a different role. Right. And we've seen that, right? We've seen that with Gary. Uh, we've seen that with that. Obviously, he wasn't even playing to start the season and now he's, he's, he's starting. You know, like it, it, things change really quickly. And you got to be able to adapt, and you got to be able to play different roles. Um, yeah, Alvin. All the time, man. In the NBA, all the time. You have to be ready to adjust day to day, second to second. You could mm. be traded one day, you could be benched another day with no communication. It's 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 a tricky game, man. And, and psychologically, you have to be strong, and you have to have some type of support system if you don't have it inside you to move forward as a professional. So you know to conquer some of those situations that are happening to you. Yeah, there you go. All right, Alvin, thank you for your time as always. Thank you for joining us on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch you on the broadcast. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. That's Alvin Williams. Um, you know, I'm not, not going to lie to you. I, I think he thought I was Alex, but that's okay. Um, I know Alex uh, messaging me in the chat. Um, I know um, he's uh, – <laughs> he's even when he's not here, he's still working, you know, and um, – yeah, he he's already made a, a commitment to making this a segment for Monday's show. No, but seriously, no. Thank you to Alvin for for coming on the program. Um, always shares a really good insight in terms of just you know what it's like, not just obviously as someone who follows the team really closely, but uh, you know inside the mind of a player. You know, I think that is something that the more that we can get on this program or on just any program, I think it it really helps, right? Because you know he sees the game in a way that. Uh, most of us literally cannot ever do, right? So anyway, um, to wrap up here, uh, it's time for Between the Lines, brought to you by Brett Rivers. It's a whole new game. So the Raptors are taking on the Brooklyn Nets tonight. Um, it is on the road. The Raptors have lost to the Nets, both home and away this season. The game uh, that the Raptors lost to Brooklyn in Brooklyn, that was actually a very close game. I thought the Raptors really could have taken care of business and and, and, and won that game, but... Some really impressive shot making from who else? Kyrie and KD uh, to sort of push the uh, them ahead of the you know the finish line in that game. 
And then, of course, the Raptors recently played Brooklyn, but uh, that was a very lopsided performance. The Raptors were very shorthanded. OG had a really strong first quarter. And other than that, the Nets were really able to lock in. And it, it wasn't even that close from that point on where Kyrie had like a 19-point quarter and all this kind of stuff. So um, this time around, the Raptors are healthier, which is great to see, right? You, you will have Scotty available. You will have Pascal available. You know, you will have – I don't even think Gary played in that game. So – you know, like more guys will be there for you. Actually, I think Gary did play in that game, but um, still, I think Gary's obviously on a better rhythm right now. And then on the other side of things, um, you know, friend of the program, Utah Watanabe, one way friend of the program, but still friend of the program, is, is continues to be out with the hamstring issue. And then Ben Simmons is actually out as well with the calf issue. And I think actually that does make things interesting because um, Brooklyn, they're not that big of a team. They really do need defenders in that lineup. And I think that, um, you know, to what Michael was saying at the start of the show about how, you know, the fact that uh, the Nets are just are really bad at rebounding. I think this is one of those games where the Raptors really need to get after them. If they come out with a really strong effort, I think the Raptors can pull this off. Obviously, Katie and Kyrie are going to be real problems, but the Raptors will probably uh, have to deal with them all night. And, you know, they will keep a baseline for their offense. But I think where the Raptors can hurt the Nets is on the glass, on the on the boards. Um, you know, I'm looking for big gains from Chris Boucher. I'm looking for big gains from Scotty, who had like a gain last season against the Nets where he had seven putbacks in that game so um and, and of course pascal being back in the lineup he's consistently hurt the net so i actually think i like the raptors here the line on bet rivers tonight is uh raptors plus one and a half i think i'll take the raptors on that front and, and that's not just because you know we always hit the raptors on the show but i think um you know I, i'm expecting a more motivated group obviously they didn't respond uh you know in new orleans and even though the raptors have a poor road record you still see some level of response from the team even when they were losing against New Orleans, they were still able to come back and 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 make it not a game necessarily because they were down such uh, such a big amount, but they were able to at least sort of force the the Pelicans to come back and close the door there. And, and I th- I'm hoping to see uh, a, a similar response just without the slow start tonight for the Raptors. So that was between the lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers as a whole new game, and that does it for us today. Uh, I'm your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review this show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks once again to Michael Pina. Uh, thanks to Alvin Williams. Thanks to our board producer, Derek Brendale and Frank Baraska for helping us with the YouTube stream. Um, also, on behalf of Alex, I would like to say thank you to his barber, Hannah, I believe. So thank you for watching, Hannah. And uh, yeah, I'll be back next week. Thank you.